Greetings, folks. This is Eric Finrod from Dwayne Morris, bringing your weekly Tech Law 10 podcast where information technology and the law intersect. As always, I'm joined by my colleague, Jonathan Armstrong from Quartering. First, I want to welcome all new subscribers as you join us on this journey. You know who you are, and we love having you here. So, Jonathan, I had this premonition that you're thinking Brexit, perhaps? It might be the sound of me chewing my nails and screaming that made you think <laughs> that I was thinking of Brexit, because that's usually my reaction. But uh, yep. regrettably, like many things in life, like, I don't know, Brussels sprouts with Christmas meals, like, um, I don't know, a, uh, a, the, the sort of wine that grandparents want you to drink over the holiday season that's really a bit too sweet for your taste. Brexit, unfortunately, is one of those things in life we're going to have to face as a possibility, uh, if not a probability at this stage. So where we are politically as we record this is that there's some sort of an agreement between the UK and the EU, but that deal has to be effectively ratified by the UK Parliament. And as we speak at the moment, the chances of that happening do not seem to be great. Now, um, uh, Theresa May is trying to do some remote politicking from Argentina and ringing back MPs to try and shore up some sort of majority. But I think any wise individual would be assuming that, uh, or at least preparing for what's called a no-deal Brexit situation. So that means what you think it means, that there would be no deal between the EU and the UK. And that has a number of ramifications in the technology arena. One of them might be around intellectual property and uh, patents and trademarks. At the moment, there's a trademark system, for example, based in Alicante in Spain, and there's a, a sort of reciprocity deal for between uh, UK trademarks and the rest of the EU, uh, whereby you can file a trademark in the UK and, uh, and also get it recognized by the Alicante system uh, across Europe. So things like that would have to be chiseled away. The one that I think would be the most pressing for most people on this podcast would be the rules around data transfer. So... Theoretically, we've talked in the past about Privacy Shield and the issues the Privacy Shield has, but theoretically there would have to be a separate Privacy Shield scheme in place between the UK and the US, just as there is a separate Privacy Shield scheme between the US and Switzerland, because if the EU weren't part of the, um, of, if the UK weren't part of the EU, then the EU uh, U.S. scheme would not apply. Now, the likelihood of a privacy shield type scheme being agreed between the U.K. and the U.S. I, I think is fairly high. In addition, there need to be some sort of arrangement between the U.K. and the rest of the EU around data privacy, and that would probably rely on either membership of the EDPB and or the EEA, 
okay. I'm trying to throw in as many abbreviations as I can, Eric, as you've guessed. EDPB being the European Data Protection Board, this umbrella uh, committee, if you like, of data privacy regulators, and the EEA being the U European Economic uh, Area, which is this sort of data-safe uh, um, uh, uh, network, if you like, across the EU, which includes countries like Switzerland and Norway, which aren't in the EU but are in Europe. So it would either, at, uh, on a best-case scenario, include some sort of EEA EDPB deal, or it could, as a level down, uh, involve uh, what's called an adequacy finding, so the same as Canada has, where the EU would recognize the UK's legislation, the new Data Protection Act 2018, which mirrors GDPR as being adequate. Now, there's a lot of people saying that that adequacy decision wouldn't happen because of the activities of the UK security services. I, I think in some respects that isn't as binary as many commentators say. I think we have to remember that adequacy doesn't mean identical. Canadian law, for example, doesn't have the same levels of fines as GDPR, and it still gets an adequacy decision. South Korea and Japan are likely to get adequacy decisions uh, in 2019, and their laws aren't the same as GDPR. So adequacy doesn't mean identical, but there will still be hurdles. So, and then, of course, the worst deal of all is that the UK law isn't regarded as adequate, and so we're in the naughty corner like the US, possibly excluding California by then. Um, so what do prudent businesses do? Well, first of all, I think they monitor the situation. They'll need to keep a careful eye on the negotiations, but also they'll need to have a plan B. And that will include, if you're entering into a contract now that involves data processing and it involves uh, uh, UK data, then you need to think about data transfer scenarios in particular. So if you're engaging with somebody who's going to run your HR system or your travel management system, and that includes employees in the UK, you need a fallback provision in the agreement that says that if things get more complicated with transferring data out of the UK or possibly in the UK, then all of the parties will do something else to make that, uh, that transfer safe. So even though these scenarios may be a year or so uh, away, one would hope, uh, certainly post-March, possibly uh, there's some transitional uh, arrangements, even in a no-deal scenario, which means that we needn't worry for two years or so. Uh, but we still should have provisions in our agreements now because obviously many of the deals that we're signing now will last after Brexit if Brexit happens. So, um, so a bit of a depressing podcast <laughs> this week in some respects, Eric, but I think it's in the, you know, the good Boy Scout motto of be prepared is the watchword. <laughs> You're not ringing in the holidays with holiday cheer. Um, <laughs> so that made perfect sense although I'm not sure it would make perfect sense to the average layperson because it really is nuanced, layered, and complicated. But let me just back it up a little bit. You know, I recall, I believe, you can correct me, it was around the summer of 2016 
when the vote was taking place on Brexit. Am I approximately correct there? I think the original you are, vote. Yeah. yeah, I remember we were talking about it. I think it even came up in one of our podcasts. We're now in the mid-200s with our podcast, and both of us were sort of scratching our head, heads in terms of how this election went down. And, of course, yeah. we were thinking that, you know, how could this possibly happen? Uh, it wouldn't happen anywhere else. But, you know, we've seen other elections not too long afterwards go in directions than were predicted, including our presidential election here in 2016 in November. Um, and my, my guess, Jonathan, is that when uh, voters were voting on Brexit, they had no idea of the types of implications that would come down uh, with respect to data transfer. I'm guessing that was just not on their mind at all. It was more sort of a nationalist feeling, but not really thinking about how do we handle uh, data that goes across borders and how do we, you know, protect privacy. Uh, just as a little footnote before I carry on, I, I love the way you say the word patent. You know, of course, here we would say patent, and I'm reading a book called The Mother Tongue by Bill Bryson, and it talks about the evolution and the history of the English language, including in how we pronounce words differently across the pond. So that was a prime example. I won't go further into that. But yes, data transfer is, is quite complicated. And just you know, just listening to you, and you're an expert on this in terms of cross-border data flow. It's so important. I mean, as we've discussed in the past, privacy protections here in the United States probably are not quite as strict uh, as in Europe. Uh, and so, therefore, when you know data comes from Europe here, it needs to be protected to a higher standard, and we must assure that. Uh, but it just gets me thinking. Even just listening to you, and you're a very clear expert. Still, it's difficult to follow. Um, wouldn't we be better off somehow figuring out more universal rules uh, in terms of data transfer, uh, so there'd be better yeah. ideas and uh, uniformity and predictability? No, I think you're right. I mean, I think there's some some really good uh, uh, points to raise there. Um, I think I did my first blog on Brexit and data transfer before the election. I'm looking at it now, March 3rd, that was shared on social media, and it had 38 clicks, it looks to be, from the table here. So, so there were 38 people, probably the loyal listeners to this call, who, who mm -hmm. at least knew of the effects of data transfer. I know that Chatham House, the uh, think tank, uh, were one of the people who picked up on that, that blog, and they... they um, they shared some of that with, with some of their subscribers. So there were people who knew about the data transfer complexities, but frankly, I don't think they were the people who were swaying the vote. And then mm -hmm. you're right about language as well. I mean, as, as, as we say, for many, uh, for many words in the English language, there are two pronunciations. Uh, technically, that's called, number one, American English, and number two, correct. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> I, I could uh, I could counter that, but I won't. Uh, just, just, I will simply say discretion is the better part of valor. So I, I think I think we're we're a couple minutes past our tech law ten, so I'm going to be the one that sort of keeps the trains moving on time here. So, children, as I say in my classes, even though I teach people in their 20s and 30s and much older, uh, this is Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris. Uh, this has been your weekly Tech Law 10 podcast. We're well into the mid-200s and going strong. You can find us on the usual social media outlets. You can find me at ejsinrod at duanemorris.com. Do please continue 
providing ideas for further podcasts. Um, and Jonathan will finish up here. Yeah, thanks very much, Eric. Um, we love to hear from you on LinkedIn or other media. I'm jonathan.armstrong at cordycompliance.com, and thanks for listening. Cheers. 